The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. Well, glory. Hey, this is Dudley. Great to be back with you again this month. I want to talk to you about something that's very, very interesting. I think you're going to find it a little bit surprising about what moves God. How, how do we, what do we do to get God to move in our behalf? What do, what do we do to get him to bring a revival to a nation, to a world? What do we do to get personal blessings? And what, what is the one key that causes God to move in acts of mercy? That's what we're going to talk about. Before we get to it, however, I want to mention several things. One is the resource I want to recommend. If you haven't already gotten this from Shadows to Substance, both in video and in audio, this is a study of Hebrews that I did some time back, but it really is a wonderful delving into what the gospel is as a fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament and how the shadows and types and predictions and prophecies look forward to Christ and the era in which we live. So if you haven't gotten that, please get it and use it for your own personal benefit and also for your family or for a small group or Sunday school class or whatever. It really fits in with what we're talking about. It really, really, really is important. The more our culture gets away from understanding a biblical language and a biblical perspective of things, uh, the more people don't understand how the Old Testament and the New Testament fit and those who are interested in, you know, believe the Bible, just don't know what it says, you know, are pulling scripture from here and there, and they're coming up with all kinds of misunderstanding of what the Word of God really is. The book of Hebrews is fabulous in, in helping us clarify that. The other thing I wanted uh, to, to talk to you about is the, uh, well, two or three things I just want to mention to you in passing. One is we're having a... Uh, Circle of Servants conference in the first weekend of November. This is a group of people that have openly said, we want to be as close to you as you'll let us. We like to pray for you on a regular basis. We like to know what's going on in the ministry. We like to know your thoughts, kind of behind your thoughts. We'll be supportive as we can. These are the people we communicate with because they really want us to communicate with them. If you have an interest in being in that group, it, it's an uh, it's an elite group, but it's not hard to get in. It doesn't cost you anything financially. You don't have to pay so much a month or whatever. You have to show interest in and a willingness to to, to hear, to, to, to want to get to know us and to know what we're doing. Every once in a while, we'll have a conference that's just for the, the circle of servants. That's what we call it. Circle of Servants. We're doing one this year. And I will be talking about interpreting where we are in the on the calendar of God, interpreting what's happening, going on around us, and what our call is, and how we should be living in light of where we are, and so forth, with all the confusion about the signs and, and wonders, uh, signs and implications of the end of the world, and all of that stuff. How do we actually interpret what God is saying, where we are, and what we're to do. So we'll be talking about that. Plus, it's just a lot of wonderful fellowship, and uh, we do it. we're do we going to do this one out at Possum Kingdom. For those of you who are not Texans, you may think that is a weird place. Well, 
you ought to come and see it's a fabulous place on a beautiful lake and we'll be having lots of fun there so anyway you can join the circle of servants and then you can come to the to the retreat then we'll be doing a father daughter in february but in march we'll be doing the epic conference the story changes everything and it's all about what the story of the bible is and the story that we're living in the big story and this year the the theme inside the theme is the story of a king who shares his crown so we'll be dealing with the kingdom of god and how we what our how we play our role in the kingdom of god what has god shared with us what are we to be doing as subjects of his kingdom his already inaugurated kingdom while we wait for the consummation it's going to be a fabulous time it always is there'll be breakout sessions uh, there, there's something for kids for children young young people breakout sessions to talk about how this relates to uh, different aspects of life so you need to register for that go ahead and get it on your calendar now so you don't miss it march 1 through 3 2018 in prosper texas that's just north of dallas so there you go these are the things you need to do okay let's get back to our uh, topic our topic is what moves god what is it that causes god to act now act in our behalf uh, there are a lot of people saying what what can we do to get god to bring revival i mean things have gotten so bad and there's so much conflict and we've got north korea acting so weird on the international stage and we've we've we're fighting among ourselves politically and 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 even in the church and we're confused about sexuality we're confused about marriage we're confused about reality and so when is god going to step in and you know is he going to have to destroy this whole thing or is there a possibility of that god would bring an awakening and of course that raises a bunch of questions like what do you mean an awakening are you just wanting god to kind of move in and take us back to where we were say 50 years ago and where the Judeo-Christian ethic was more valued. Is that what you want? Or would you like for God to step in and do what, what he wants to do? And if so, what is it? What is it that God wants to do? Uh, it, you, you may want to uh, apply this to your personal life. What do I have to do to get God to intervene in my life? It just seems like things keep going awry in my life. What do I need to do to get God to move in my behalf? How can I get blessings from him? And by the way, the airwaves are, waves are full of people who are telling you what that is. Here's what you need to do. You know, some would say, send money to them. That'll do it. Some would say, you know, you got to pray a certain way. You got to be believe these precepts. You got to follow these principles what whatever you know all of this stuff about how, how do we get god to move so I, I want to share something with you that i think you 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 may think is is uh, you probably hadn't thought about it in a while we, we said that like that okay and it is this 
that God moves in, as an expression of jealousy for his name. Hmm. I don't hear many people telling us that's the key, that uh, if you want God to move, then, then God will move in jealousy of his name. So, so let's delve into that, okay? Let's, let's talk about what it, what it really means. The, uh, the whole story of history is the story of God acting in mercy to expose the jealousy for his name. Let, let, let's, let's, uh, let's think about it. With Adam and Eve, God created Adam and Eve not because he needed anything, but because he wanted to show his nature. He wanted to show who he was. And, and so he, he, he put Adam and Eve in the garden, gave them, shared with them his rule on the earth and said, you'll be working with me and you'll be partners with me. And he, he wanted to, sh to, for Adam and Eve to be his reflectors of his name. When we say we're created in the image of God, what does it mean? It means that we are the image of the invisible God. He created us to reflect his nature, his character, his essence. So Adam and Eve were the first name reflectors, if you will. Adam and Eve messed up that name. or They messed up the reflection, I should say, of that name. And so God acted again by choosing Israel. He goes to Abraham and he says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I am going to reveal my name to this cursed earth. So he makes a promise to Abraham. And it's God moving to, to justify or to reveal his true name. So he makes a promise to Abraham and then Abraham's kids and grandkids and, and so forth. So that, that whole group becomes Israel. And he says to Israel, what he had said to Adam and Eve, you are to be my name reflectors. I want you to reflect my true nature to all the world and to show them what I'm really like. And he, he made a covenant with them and of course, they, again, failed at being accurate name reflectors. So, later on, eventually, Jesus comes as the fulfillment of Adam's, Adam, Adam and Eve's name reflector commission and as Israel's name reflector commission and mission. And so Jesus comes and he is the true image of the invisible God. He, in his life, demonstrates the true nature of God. But what I want you to see is that the very sending of Jesus is God acting to accurately reflect his name. Jesus chose 12 disciples and he said to them, you're to be name reflectors. You're to be witnesses of me. So the church then, those who are followers of Christ and have come to know him, 
we now have been commissioned, called, assigned to be the name reflectors of, of God. And so when God acts in history, he is acting to restore his name out of jealousy for his name. And so if God is going to act in our day, in our own personal lives, or in our country, or in our world, or in his church, which transcends all the tribes and nations, if God is going to act, he will act in, to, to clarify his name, to express his name, who he really is. So, you know, that, that begs the question of, all right, what, why is his name so important? Why is God so, ex why is he so obsessed with his name? There are those who would say that, that that makes God irresponsible and rejectable, that any God who is so insecure that he's always talking about his own name, who wants to follow him. But that's, that's not true. It'd be true of anyone else, but it's not true of God because God God knows that we were designed to reflect his name. And if we don't know his name, we don't know his character, if we don't really know who he's really like, we can't reflect his name. And therefore, we are less than we were designed to be. See, it's, it's, it's knowing God as he really is, what his true name and nature is, that fulfills us as human beings. We were designed that way. You were designed to know his name, to reflect his name. So what happens when you get a misconception, a marred view of his name? Well, you don't know his name, therefore you don't reflect his name, therefore you're not fulfilling what you were designed to do. Therefore, you're dissatisfied. And therefore, you're going out after other things. You're going out after other gods. So life becomes complicated, becomes a turmoil when God's name is besmirched, when, when his image, when our concept of him is not accurate. Because if our concept of God is not true, then we don't know what truth is. He is the origin, the source of the definition of truth. Well, mess that up and you, you're living in darkness and you're living in deception. And darkness and deception leads to destruction, dissatisfaction on the way. So it really is important for us to, for, for God's name to be, to be manifested, for his name to be clarified, for his name to, to be justified. God is jealous for his name. Why? Because he loves his creation and his creation will never be what it was designed to be if his name is messed up. So he, he acts in, he acts to, to clear his name. Let, let, let's talk about the names. There, there was a, a turnover to Exodus chapter 33. This was a time when uh, Moses asked if he could see see God. You know, Moses is going up on the mountain to get the words from God. And while he's gone, the Israelites that he had led made, made calves through 
Aaron said, we just threw gold in the fire and it came out this calf and we worship it. And so messed up his name. It, that's not the true nature of God. He's not a golden calf. It doesn't reflect him. And so, so this whole thing about God's nature is the context here in Exodus 33 and 34. So, so Moses asked, can I, can I see you? So in verse 17, it says this, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you've spoken, I will do. For you found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name. Well, let me finish reading. The name, the Lord, uh, the, the Almighty One. And he goes on to say, and I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place beside me where you can stand on the rock. And while my glory passes, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So what God is saying is, okay, you need to know my name, my name, the Lord, the the ruler, the Adonai, the the Elohim, the, the, the one that is ultimately complete, the I am. Uh, that's my name. But he defined it with goodness. I'll make all my goodness pass before you. But my goodness is so purely good that if you were to see it, it would consume you. It would destroy you. So I can't let you see all of my goodness at one time. I will put my hand over you and hide you in the rock so that you can just see the afterglow, if you will. So so God's name is his nature. It's, it's who he is. It's, it's his essence. And so and then in, in chapter 34, God describes himself. As he passed before Moses, what did Moses see? He saw the afterglow of these characteristics of his name. So here it is, 34.6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the ch and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So, so this is the name of God. Not, notice what it says. He's merciful and gracious slow to anger, which doesn't mean that, which means that he does get angry. There are those today who would try to create a name for God that never gets angry. He's abounding in steadfast love, covenant love. What, what God, when God commits to you, he never, he never backs out. There's no conditions on his love. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin but he doesn't clear the guilty. If, if someone is unwilling to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be justified, he doesn't clear them. He's not a willy-nilly kind of a good God, the way some people want to try to make him. 
He is a God who punishes sin. He's a God who hates sin. He's a God who hates sin so much that he takes his wrath on sin. He's a God that hates sin so much and what it does to people that he himself became sin and absorbed the wrath that sin so richly deserves uh, when Jesus was on the cross. So, so, so this is the name of God. So he, he's wanting to, he's jealous for that name. And, and when we in our arrogance and ignorance start trying to create God in our own image, when we start trying to say, well, you know, my, my concept of God is thus and thus. I, I, I just couldn't believe in a God who, who's jealous for his name. I, I couldn't believe in a God who creates hell. Uh, that that wouldn't be within my concept of God. I I can't I can't believe in a God who would let some people go to hell and let others go to heaven. I I, I just can't do that. And I can't believe in a God who, if He's powerful and if He's loving, allows painful things to come to people, uh, particularly innocent people. I mean, so there are a lot of people who who are who are trying to change the name of God. The problem with that is trying to get to know that God does nothing for you. It, it doesn't satisfy you. It doesn't fulfill you. It, it, it doesn't empower you. It doesn't release you because you are embracing a the false name of God. So, so when God acts, he acts to restore his name, to vindicate his name. Okay. Turn with me over to Ezekiel. I don't know how often you read Ezekiel, but you probably would be helpful if you read it more than you do. But Ezekiel, one of the prophets uh, before and during the exile of Israel, and he's talking to Israel now about what's what, how God is going to act after they've gone in, into exile. So he prophesies first of all, to the mountains of Israel. Now, you need to understand covenant. When God made a covenant, he made a covenant with his people, and he said, I will bless you, and I'll bless your land. I'll cause the land to be fruitful. I'll cause the land to produce crops. I'll, uh, I'll bless you and the place that you live. Well, because they had broken covenant with God, the very land itself was cursed. And so it, it had famine, it had earthquakes, it had fire, it had all, the, the land itself spit the inhabitants out is one, one way of, one way this Bible writer said it. So, so God is speaking to the mountains of Israel and says there's going to come a time when, when you land will be the place where my people live and I will bless the land that's cursed. Now there are those who would say, he's only talking about that little partial over there uh, between the sea and the river, you know, that we call Israel. But really, it's the whole earth that got cursed, and it's the whole earth that will be blessed. So, so the promise to bless the land is a blessing to the whole earth. So let me just read you some stuff in chapter 36. It's where I am, uh, of Ezekiel. Verse 36, 6, Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel, and say to the mountains and the hills and the ravines and the valleys, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I have spoken in my jealous wrath because you've suffered the reproach of nations. 
Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I swear that the nations that are around you shall themselves suffer reproach. Okay, so he's, he's speaking even to, to the land. Then he starts speaking to the people. And, and so I want to pick up here. And if you got a Bible, read along with me. This is Ezekiel 36, verse 16. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and deeds. Their ways, the ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed through the countries and in accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, whenever, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. The people said of them, these are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to get out of the land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations in which they came. Therefore, Say to the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the, the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. He drops on down and says, verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, a new spirit I'll put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I'll be, I will be your God. Okay, so here Ezekiel is saying, okay, God is going to act. And he's going to act not for your sake. He's going to act for his name's sake. We remember why? Because it's only when his name is accurate, is pure, is vindicated, that creation can walk in truth. So, so God says, I'm going to act to restore my, my name. I'd started before to delineate some of the ways God had acted in history. You know, we're created to, as humans, as as mankind, to be worshipers of God, to reflect his image, and to boast in him. That's, that's what we're created. You're, you're created to boast in God. And there's something about all of us that, that need to boast. We, there needs to be something that we, that we glory in, something that we rejoice in something that we boast about. Little boys who have, like I have grand, grandsons, they boast about how many Legos they have and what they've built with their Legos. Little girls boast in their 
dolls and in their dresses and in their styles. And, and as you grow, grow older, you boast in different things. Later, boys boast in athletic prowess or cars or uh, today you boast in what kind of iPhone or what kind of smartphone you have or your computer or, or you, you get older, you boast in your career, you boast in your degrees that you've received in the academic world or you boast in your country club memberships or you boast in your amount of money you've been able to accumulate or you boast in your the legacy that you have, the name that you have built in the community or in the world. We've already talked about the fact that so many people today, when you ask them, what do you, what do you want to be? They want to be famous for whatever, you know, famous for anything. So, so God created us to boast in his name. And if you boast in anything less than his name, uh, again, it's dissatisfying. It's, uh, it's, it, it destroys your dignity. It, it distorts life. So we, so no wonder God wants to vindicate his name and to clarify his name. So I just jotted down the story here about how God has acted in, in his jealousy. He acted to bless the world through Abraham's seed. It wasn't that Abraham did something to get God to come and make a promise to him. It's that God said, I'm I, I love my creation. I, I, I love the people I created and I'm not going to give up and I'm going to come and I'm going to restore the concept of who I am. And, and then God acted to preserve the seed in Egypt. What a lot of people don't understand is that Israel's being in Egypt was a positive thing because the rest of the world was in famine and because they were there, even though they wound up to be servants there, the seed of God was preserved there, uh, even as in their servitude, in their slavery in Egypt. And so even sending them to Egypt or them going to Egypt was a, a God showing his mercy and his graciousness and his loving kindness. Uh, God asked, then God acted to rescue Israel from Egypt. He did that by, through the Exodus, through the great miracles of the Exodus, it wasn't that they qualified. Yeah, they cried out, but there's nothing they could do. They couldn't. They had nothing to offer God. They had no. They had. They had no uh, leverage. They had nothing to bargain with. They couldn't negotiate, and so they cried out, "We're we're hurting," and God acted in to to show His name because His name is gracious and and merciful and slow to anger and tender and faithful and unconditionally loving and, and just. So he acted to show the nature of who he was in the great Exodus. And then he, he showed his name by, by entering into covenant with these people. He made a covenant with them and said, here's how you live with me and I'll, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. You'll get to know who I really am. This was an expression of God's mercy, of God's love of God's vindicating his name. You, you need to know who I really am. He, he was saying, so I make covenant with you. He's a covenant God. And then he, he acted consistent with his name when he expelled Israel from the promised land because he is a God full of love, full of mercy. There would have been no Israel had he not acted initially. There would have been no, no people of God had he not rescued them from Egypt. 
There would have been no people of God if he not defeated their enemies. And now they're in covenant with him. He, he's showing that he is a God of love and mercy by actually sending them or allowing them to go into Babylonian captivity. That's an expression of God's name. He will by no means clear the guilty. They broke covenant. They get what breaking the covenant means. And God, to be consistent with himself, be consistent with his name, fulfilled his covenant. And so they were expelled from the land. And then uh, all during their exile, he promised a restoration. And that's where we're getting our text today from Ezekiel. Finally, God acted to restore his name by sending his son, the eternal son, the only begotten son, who is the fulfillment of Adam. He's the last Adam and he's the fulfillment of Israel. He's the Christ. He comes to show what God's name really is. And so what did man do to get him to come? Nothing. It was God acting out of his own initiative to restore his name to the earth. So, and, and, and in his coming, by the way, he showed that he is unwilling to let sin go unpunished, that he will by no means clear the guilty because Jesus himself became sin for us. He who knew no sin on his own became our sin so that we could be justified. In other words, when God had a chance to go soft on sin and on the guilty, he did not. He himself, in the person of his son, took it. So, so this concept of a God who, who just kind of a nebulous, loves everybody, kind of, kind of a grandfather type, that is not the God uh, of the Bible. It's not the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not the God who's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is not the nature of, of God. So, so, so he, he acts to fulfill his promise and he does in Jesus Christ. And then, of course, as I said, he chooses disciples and then the church comes and people who trust Jesus, who, who receive his mercy, they, they enter into this grace, this graciousness of God. They come to know God the Father through Jesus the Son. And they they're now have finally seen the true name of God uh, as reflected in the, the image of God in Jesus Christ. So, so now they are his image reflectors in the world. And, and so now God continues to reveal his name to them. So we, we come to an interesting passage. It's the story of Peter on the night of the crucifixion. Turn, turn with me over there to John chapter 13. And I want to show you something maybe you haven't considered before here. It's really important. So far, we've kind of been laying the groundwork. This is really, really important for you. So, so listen up. So you know the setting here. They're, they're having their... They're preparing and having the last meal together, the Passover meal. And it's at this meal Jesus reveals who 
the Matray areas and all of that. So this is the this is that discourse. So they're in this room, and Simon Peter says in chapter 13, verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And, and you know where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And we, how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, and he goes on to talk about this fabulous status that God is going, God is giving to his disciples and that they will have the relationship with the Father that he has had. He will make it possible for them to ask of the Father and receive just like he has. And that the way he's going to do that is that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is going to come and live in them and is going to make this relationship real so that they will not only theoretically but experientially know what it means to actually know God and have the same relationship with God the Father that Jesus has. All of that fits together. This uh, this chapter division here, as sometimes happens in Scripture, uh, sometimes breaks off that thought. So, so what Jesus is saying to Peter is, Peter, I, I don't doubt that you believe what you just said, that you that you really would be willing to die for me. I think you believe that. I think you've committed committed yourself to me as much as you know how to commit yourself to me. And I, I, so I, I think your commitment is uh, noteworthy. But this is not about your commitment to me, Peter. This is about me being jealous for my name. And in order for you to be a image reflector, a name reflector, an image of, of me, in order for you to reflect my name accurately, you have to know experientially my name. You have to know that I act to express my true nature. I am gracious and kind and merciful and slow to anger and full of compassion and I have steadfast love I never stop. And until you know that, you will not be prepared to be a name reflector in the world. So, so what Jesus is doing here is he is comforting Peter by telling him that you're going to fail, that your commitment is going to fail. Because it's not about what you do that moves God. It's that God moves out of jealousy for his name. He wants people to know who he really is. 
He wants to show mercy when the human mind cannot conceive of it. He wants to reveal grace when it seems too good to be true. He wants to love you when you are totally unlovable. He wants to establish you when you have proven that you are unfaithful. He wants to show that he is the God of original mercy. He is the source of it. He is the source of grace. He is a source of faithfulness. He wants you so consumed with how big and good and gracious he is that you will not be focused on what you're supposed to be doing in order to get God to do something. In fact, he is saying, it is my intention, Peter, for you to be so reduced in your confidence in yourself that you will be totally enamored with my faithfulness to you. And when that has happened, Peter, your boast will be in how much you're loved, not in how much you love. You will not go around commenting that you love me more than the rest of the disciples. You will not look down your nose at others and saying, they may deny you, but never I. You won't do that again, Peter. Because from when I reveal my name to you, you'll be so consumed with how, who I am and how I love and how I act that all you can talk about is my name, not yours. And so that way you can go ahead and be my name reflector in the world. And by the way, let me just go ahead and tell you this. I'm paraphrasing Jesus. Uh, you, you won't get to decide how you die. That'll be decided for you. And uh, you'll be dishonored. They won't understand you. And in fact, we know from tradition, at least we're pretty sure from tradition, that Peter died as a martyr and he was crucified upside down, it said, because he didn't, he was, he didn't feel that he could be crucified like the Lord. He wanted to be crucified upside down. So the, the point is, it didn't matter to Peter once he saw the true name of God. It didn't matter that times ahead were going to be tough, that he was no longer going to be in charge of things like he had been in the past, and that he would die a martyr. That was, that, those were no issues. Because he had seen the name of the Lord. So when we, we say, Lord, I want you to act. I want you to act in my life. What's going to get God to act? God is going to act to vindicate his name. He wants you to know who he really is. Yeah, we have, we have juvenile concepts of who he is. We, we've grown up, we've been told who he is, and we've got all this stuff. So God says, I'm going to use life, the circumstances of life, and I am going to use them to show you what my name really means, who I really am. 
And in order for that to happen, I have to show you that, that nothing else really does matter. It's not what you do that gets me to move. It's my love for my name. And when I act to vindicate my name, it will mean that, that everything else is exposed as inferior. Shall we put it like that? That my boasting and my accomplishments, my faith, my faithfulness, my good works, my efforts of, of doing good, all of that is inferior to his name. And when I see his name, then I can't help but boast in him. And when I boast in him, then I am, I find that I'm finally doing what I was designed to do. That's what God created humans to be, name reflectors, those who boast in his name. So the question comes back, do you want God to act in your life? Well, some of us say, well, you know, I sure would like for him to make things a little better. I would like for things to go kind of go back to where they were. I'd like for our society to be a little bit more, uh, a lot more, uh, you know, Judeo-Christian values oriented. I, I would like for uh, the culture to be a little more friendly toward Christians. I, I, I'd like for, a, 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 what I want is a step back. Well, God is saying, no, if I act, I'll act to vindicate my name. And that means he will act in the church and he will reduce us uh, to glorying in him. And that's not a bad thing, but it's not what most people mean when they say, I want to be blessed. What they mean when they say, I want to be blessed is I, you know, I, I want more stuff, more ease, more comfort and whatever. But know this, our God has not given up on his creation, never has, never will. Uh, he is committed to do what he's always done, and that is to reveal his name. If you dare to pray that prayer, God, act in our behalf, then you can expect him to vindicate his name. You're going to love it when he does, because there's nothing like knowing the one whose very nature is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, full of loving kindness, always faithful, uh, forgiving sins, iniquities, uh, transgressions, any kind of mess up we've done, he takes care of it, totally forgiving it, and being always just, never, never clearing the guilty, but being willing to take the place of the guilty so that the guilty can be declared innocent, justified. That's the nature of God. So what, what moves God? Jealousy for his name. Uh, maybe we should pray, God, give me the same kind of jealousy for your name that you have. If we get jealous for his name, we won't be so jealous for ours. And that's, that's a guarantee. So yeah, let's venture out. Let's pray that God would act. God would move in our day, move in our lives, move in our communities, our church, move in our nation, move in our world to vindicate his name. And 
as that happens, we'll see a lot of people finding fulfillment and we'll see the name of, of Jesus going up. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for, thank you for the word of God that t tells us really what is going on behind the scenes. And I'm grateful that you're jealous for your name. If you just let it be besmirched wherever, we would never know your true nature and never knowing your true nature, we'd never know who we are or we would never know the benefits. So thank you for being jealous for your name. We pray that you would act again in jealousy for your name in our day, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've enjoyed being with you. This is Dudley Hall with Kerygma Ventures. I look forward to studying with you next time. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot com.